0: Section 2 of Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans, Volume 7, by Lucius Mestrius Plutarchus. Translated by Bernadotte Perrin. Demosthenes, Chapters 11-20. through For his bodily deficiencies, he adopted the exercises which I shall describe as Demetrius the Philurian tells us, who says he heard about them from Demosthenes himself, now grown old. The indistinctness and lisping in his speech he used to correct and drive away by taking pebbles in his mouth and then reciting speeches. His voice he used to exercise by discoursing while running or going up steep places, and by reciting speeches or verses at a single breath. Moreover, he had in his house a large looking-glass, and in front of this he used to stand and go through his exercises in declamation. A story is told of a man coming to him and begging his services as advocate, and telling at great length how he had been assaulted and beaten by someone. ''But certainly,'' said Demosthenes, ''you got none of the hurts which you describe.'' Then the man raised his voice and shouted, ''Hi, Demosthenes, no hurts!'' ''Now indeed,'' said Demosthenes, ''I hear the voice of one who is wronged and hurt.'' So important in winning credence did he consider the tone and action of the speaker. Accordingly, his own action in speaking was astonishingly pleasing to most men. But men of refinement, like Demetrius the Philurian thought his manner low, ignoble, and weak. And Hermippus tells us that Ision, when asked his opinion of the ancient orators, as compared with those of his own time, said that one would have listened with admiration when the older orators discoursed to the people decorously and in the grand manner, but that the speeches of Demosthenes, when read aloud, were far superior in point of arrangement and power. Now it is needless to remark that his written speeches have much in them that is harsh and bitter. But in his extemporous rejoiners he was also humorous. For instance, when Demetis said, Demosthenes teach me, as well might the sow teach Athena. It was this Athena, said Demosthenes, that was lately found playing the harlot in Colitis and to the thief nicknamed brazen who attempted to make fun of him for his late hours and his writing at night he said i know i annoy you with my lighted lamp but you men of athens must not wonder at the thefts that are committed when we have thieves of brass but house walls of clay however though i have still more to say on this head i shall stop here The other traits of his character and his disposition should be surveyed in connection with his achievements as a statesman. Well, then, he set out to engage in public matters after the Phocian War had broken out, as he himself says, and it is possible to gather from his Philippic harangues. For some of these were made after the Phocian War was already ended, and the earliest of them touch upon affairs which were closely connected with it. And it is clear that when he prepared himself to speak in the prosecution of Medius, he was 32 years old, but as yet had no power or reputation in the conduct of the city's affairs. And his fears on this score were the chief reason, in my opinion, why he compromised his case against the man he hated for a sum of money. Quote, For he was not at all a sweet tempered man or of gentle mood, end quote. but vehement and violent in his requitals. However, seeing that it was no mean task and one beyond his power to overthrow a man like Matheus, who was well hedged about with wealth, oratory, and friends, he yielded to those who interceded in his behalf. For it does not seem to me that the 3,000 drachmas of themselves could have dulled the bitter feelings of Demosthenes if he had expected or felt able to triumph over his adversary. But when he had once taken as a noble basis for his political activity the defense of the Greeks against Philip, and was contending worthily here, he quickly won a reputation, and was lifted into a conspicuous place by the boldness of his speeches, so that he was admired in Greece and treated with deference by the great king. Philip, too, made more account of him than of any other popular leader at Athens, and it was admitted even by those who hated him that they had to contend with a man of mark. For both Aschines and Hipparates say thus much for him while denouncing him. Wherefore, I do not know how it occurred to Theopompus to say that Demosthenes was unstable in his character and unable to remain true for any length of time to the same policies or the same men. For it is apparent that after he had at the outset adopted a party and a line of policy in the conduct of the city's affairs, he maintained this to the end and not only did not change his position while he lived, but actually gave up his life that he might not change it. For he was not like Demades, who apologized for his change of policy by saying that he often spoke at variance with himself, but never at variance with the interests of the city, nor like Milanopus, who, though opposed politically to Callistratus, was often brought over by him, and then would say to the people, The man is my enemy it is true but the interests of the city shall prevail nor like nicodemus the messanian who first attached himself to cassander and then again advocated the interests of demetrius but said that he was not contradicting himself for it was already advantageous to listen to one's masters we cannot say that such things of demosthenes also as of one who is turned from his course, and veers to and fro either in word or deed. Nay, he followed one unchangeable scale, as it were, and ever held to one key in politics. And Penetius, the philosopher, says that most of his speeches also are written in the conviction that the good alone is to be chosen for its own sake, As, for instance, the speech on the crown, the one against aristocracies, that for the immunities and the philippics, for in all these he does not try to lead his countrymen to do what is pleasantest or easiest or most profitable, but in many places thinks that they ought to make their safety and preservation secondary to what is honorable and fitting, so that... If the loftiness of his principles and the nobility of his speeches had been accompanied by such bravery as becomes a warrior and by incorruptibility in all his dealings, he would have been worthy to be numbered not with such orators as Morocles, Polyctus, Hyperades, and their contemporaries, but high up with Simon, Deucydides, and Pericles. At any rate, Phocian, among his contemporaries, Though he took the lead in a policy which is not to be commended, and though he had the reputation of favoring Macedonia, nevertheless, by reason of his bravery and integrity, was held to be in no wise inferior to Ephialtes and Aristides and Simon. Demosthenes, however, was not worthy of confidence when he bore arms, as Demetrius says, nor was he altogether inaccessible to bribes, but though he did not succumb to the gold which came from Philip and Macedonia, that which came down in streams from Susa and Nicabana, reached and overwhelmed him. And therefore he was most capable of praising the virtues of earlier generations, but he was not so good at imitating them. For certainly the orators of his own day, though I leave Phocion out of the account, were surpassed by him even in his life and conversation and it is manifest that beyond them all he reasoned boldly with the people opposed himself to the desires of the multitude and persistently attacked their faults as may be gathered from his speeches and even theopompus tells us that When the Athenians nominated him to conduct a certain impeachment, and, on his refusal, raised a tumult against him, he rose and said, "'Men of Athens, I will serve you as a counsellor, even though you do not wish it, but not as a false accuser, even though you wish it.'" Moreover, the measures which he took in the case of Antiphon were exceedingly aristocratic in their spirit. Antiphon had been acquitted by the assembly, but Demosthenes arrested him and brought him before the council of the Areopagus, and making no account of the offense thus given to the people, convicted him of having promised Philip to set fire to the dockyards, and Antiphon was given up to justice by the council and suffered death. He also accused the priestess Theorus of many misdemeanors, and particularly of teaching the slaves to practice deceit, and by fixing the penalty at death, he brought about her execution. It is said, too, that the speech which Apollodorus used in order to secure the conviction of Timotheus the general in action for debt was written for him by Demosthenes, and likewise the speeches which Apollodorus used against Formio and Stephanus, in which cases Demosthenes properly won discredit. For Formio contended against Apollodorus with a speech Demosthenes had written for him, the orator thus simply selling to the disputants, from one cutlery shop the knives with which to wound each other. Moreover, of his public orations, those against Antrioton, and Timocrates and Aristocrates were written for others to pronounce before he had as yet entered public life, for it appears that these speeches were produced when he was twenty-seven or twenty-eight years of age. But he himself delivered the speech against Aristogetan, as well as the one on the immunities, as the instance, as he himself says, of Sestippus, the son of Chabrias, but as some say because he was wooing the mother of this young man. However, he did not marry this woman, but had a certain woman of Samos to wife, as Demetrius the Magnesian tells us in his work on persons of the same nature. Whether the speech denouncing the treacherous embassage of Ascynese was delivered or not, it is uncertain, and yet Edominus says that Ascynese got off by only 30 votes. But this would seem to be untrue if we are to judge by the written speeches of both orators on the crown for neither of them speaks clearly and distinctly of that contention as one which came to trial. This question, however, will have to be decided by others. The political attitude of this Mostanese was manifest while peace still lasted, for he would let no act of the Macedonian pass uncensured, but on every occasion kept rousing and inflaming the Athenians against him. Therefore Philip also made most account of him, and when Demosthenes came to Macedonia in an embassy of ten, Philip listened indeed to them all, but took most pains to answer his speech. As regards all other marks of honor and kindly attention, however, Philip did not treat Demosthenes as well as the others, but courted rather the party of Aschines and Philocrates. And so when these lauded Philip as most powerful in speaking, most fair to look upon, And, indeed, as a most capable fellow drinker, Demosthenes had to say in bitter raillery that the first encomium was appropriate for a sophist, the second for a woman, and the third for a sponge, but none of them for a king. And when matters were inclining at last to war, since Philip was unable to keep quiet and the Athenians were being stirred up by Demosthenes, in the first place he urged the Athenians to invade Euboea which had been brought into subjection to Philip by its tyrants, and it was on his motion that they crossed over to the island and drove out the Macedonians. In the second place he came to the aid of the citizens of Byzantium and Perinthus when the Macedonian was making war upon them by persuading the Athenian people to remit their hatred and forget the wrongs committed by each of these cities in the social war and to send them a force, the force which saved them. Next he went on to an embassy to the Greek states, and by arguing with them and pricking them on, brought almost all of them into a league against Philip, so that they raised a mercenary force of 15,000 foot and 2,000 horse, apart from the citizen soldiery, and readily contributed money to pay them. It was at this time, as Theophrastus says, when the Allies were demanding that their contributions be fixed within limits, that Crobolus, the popular leader, said, War has no fixed rations. Greece was now in suspense as it thought of their future, and its peoples and cities were leaking themselves together, Eubians, Achaeans, Corinthians, Megarians, Lucidians, and Corsarians for the most important struggle still remained for demosthenes in bringing the thebans to join the alliance for they had a territory bounding that of attica and a force ready to take the field and at that time were accounted the best soldiers in greece but it was no easy matter in view of the recent benefits with which philip had cultivated their favour during the phocian war to make the thebans change sides and especially because in the petty quarrels, brought on by their proximity to Athens, the differences, which made for war between the two cities, were all the while stirred up anew. Philip, however, elated by his good fortune in the matter of Amphissa, surprised Alatia and occupied Phocis. This step drove the Athenians out of their senses. No one ventured to ascend the bema, and no one knew what ought to be said, but perplexity and silence reigned in the assembly. Then it was that Demosthenes, and he alone, came forward and advised the people to cling to Thebes, and after giving them courage in other ways and buoying them up with hopes, as he was wont to do, he was sent with others as ambassador to Thebes. Philip also, as Marsyas tells us, sent Amyntas and Clearchus of Macedonia, Diochus of Thessaly and Phrasidaeus to speak in opposition to the Athenians. Well then, the Thebans in their calculations were not blind to their own interests, but each of them had before his eyes the terrors of war, since their losses in the Phocian War were still fresh. However, the power of the orator, as Theopompus says, fanned up their courage and inflamed their honorable ambition, It obscured all other considerations, so that, casting away fear and calculation and feelings of obligation, they were wrapped away by his words into the path of honor. And so great and glorious was the orator's success seen to be, that Philip at once sent out an embassy and asked for peace, while Greece was confident and up in arms to aid Demosthenes for the future. And not only did the Athenian generals assist him, and do what he ordered, but also the Boca He managed at this time all the assemblies of the Thebans, no less than those of the Athenians. He was beloved by both peoples, and exercised supreme power, not illegally nor unworthily, as Theopompus declares, but rather with perfect propriety. But it would seem that some divinely ordered fortune in the revolution of the Thers, which was putting an end at this time to the freedom of the Greeks opposed their efforts and showed forth many signs of what was to come. Along these were the dire prophecies which the Pythian priestess made known from an ancient oracle which was recited from the Sibylline books. Quote, From the battle on Thermodon may I be far removed no, to behold it like an eagle in clouds in upper air. Tears are for the conquered there, and for the conqueror death, Now the Thermidon, they say, is in my native territory, in Charonia, being a little river which empties into the Cephasus. But I know of no river bearing this name at the present time. I conjecture, however, that the stream now called Hymen then bore the name of Thermidon, For it flows past the Herculeum, where the Greeks had their camp, and I judge that after the battle the river was filled with blood and corpses, and therefore received its present name in exchange. Juras, however, says that this Thermodon was not a river, but that some soldiers who were pitching a tent and digging a trench about it found a small stone figure, an inscription upon which was signified that it was Thermodon, carrying in its arms a wounded Amazon. They say also that in reference to this another oracle is recited as follows quote, For the battle on Thermidon wait thou, all black bird. There thou shalt have in abundance the flesh of men. How this matter really stands, then, it is difficult to decide. But as for Demosthenes, he is said to have had complete confidence in the Greek forces, and to have been lifted into a state of glowing excitement by the strength and ardor of so many men eager to engage the enemy, so that he would not suffer his countrymen to give heed to oracles or to listen to prophecies. Nay, he even suspected the Pythian priestess of being in sympathy with Philip, minding the Thebans of Epaminondas and the Athenians of Pericles, and declaring those great leaders regarded things of this kind as pretexts for cowardice, and therefore followed the dictates of reason. Up to this point, then, he was a brave man, but in battle he displayed no conduct that was honorable or consonant with his words, but forsook his post, cast away his arms, and ran away most disgracefully, nor was he ashamed to belie the inscription on his shield, as Pythias said, whereon was written in letters of gold with good fortune. Immediately after his victory, then Philip waxed insolent for joy, and going forth in revel rout to see the bodies of the slain and being in his cups, recited the beginning of the decree introduced by Demosthenes, dividing it into feet and marking off the time. Quote, Demosthenes, son of Demosthenes of paenia thus moves. End quote. But when he got sober and realized the magnitude of the struggle in which he had been involved, he shuddered at the power and the ability of the orator who had forced him to hazard his empire and his life in the brief span of a single day. And the fame of this orator penetrated even to the Persian king, who sent letters to his satraps on the coast, bidding them to offer money to Demosthenes, and to pay more attention to him than to any other Greek, since he was able to distract and detain the Macedonian with the troubles which he raised in Greece. These things now were discovered at a later time by Alexander, who found at Sardis certain letters of Demosthenes and documents of the king's generals, which disclosed the amount of money they had given him. End of section 2